Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. So tonight we are going to look at four different conversations that Jesus has in the Bible. And we're going to try to pull out things that we can learn from each one of those conversations. But before we do that, I want to give away some candy. Here we go. Who likes pop quizzes? Nobody. But you guys, these answers, well, no, some of them are hard. So let's, first question. So this is how it works. My old kids' church pastor days. I won't call on you if you holler out the answer. You have to raise your hand, okay? And then don't get mad if I don't pick you when you raise your hand. Number one, what four New Testament books are also known as the Gospels? What four New Testament books are also Amanda? Yes, give it up for Amanda. Now, Amanda, do you want a Hershey's bar, a Snickers, or a pin? <laughs> no, you can. There you go. Congratulations. See, thank you. Benita, you got the right spirit. We cheer enthusiasts. Everybody else is like, whatever. No, I'm kidding. Number two, which of the four Gospels is the longest? It's Bible class. Which of the four? Nicole, Lindsay? No. Ray Strickland? Luke is correct. What do you want? A pen. Here you go, Dad. Sorry. I meant to throw it at you. Yes, clap. Good job. Benita, Benita, what do you want? Come on, you get something. We cheer enthusiastically. That's what we say here at North Point. Which, you want a Hershey? Thank you, Benita. Thank you for cheering. Number three, which of the four Gospels is believed to have been written first? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Ooh, Bible class. Benita? No. Amy? No. Oh, a process of elimination. You're getting closer, guys. Ben, Mark is correct. What do you, come on, come get your prize. Give it up for Ben. Give it up. You want that Snickers? Okay. All right. Which of the four gospels, so we've got, we eliminated one, so we're good, is believed to have been written last? Ooh. Ooh, Nicole, you want to try again? Kevin? No. Benita? John! Do you want to give your prize away or do you want to get two prizes? It's up to you. You want to give your prize away? Who do you want to give it to? You want to give it to Rose? She deserves it. Give it up for Rose, everybody. I love giving. Listen, I'm so happy. What do you want, ma'am? Take that. I should have got more Snickers. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. Which one was written by a physician? Come on, everybody. Let's do this. Miss Patty? Luke is right. What do you want? You want this pen? You said you wanted a pen earlier. <laughs> you want the Snickers? Miss Patty said, forget that pen. Give me that Snickers. All right. Last one. Which gospel was written by Barnabas's cousin? Ooh, Bible class. Austin, you went to Bible school. What is the, you better know this answer. No, I'm kidding. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, just guess, just guess. 
Amy? Mark is correct. Yeah. What do you want, Amy? A pen? Okay. Very good. Give yourselves a hand. Y'all are ready for seminary. Great job. <laughs> so all of our conversations are coming out of the Gospels tonight, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because that's where we see Jesus on the earth interacting with people. So our first conversation, I'm going to give you the characters, and then I'm going to give you a little context. The first conversation is Jesus and an invalid at a pool. Okay, y'all know this story. So our, our context for this talk it's springtime in Israel. Jesus had just performed his second public sign. He had just healed a little boy who was on his deathbed. So this, when John writes about Jesus performing signs, he's saying he's proving that he's the Messiah. So this is right after he's done one of those signs, right? So now Jesus is out in the open. His power is on display. People are beginning to come to him. They're talking about him. And now he's gone up to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. And this is our story context. So let's read about it. John 5, 2 through 9. John 5, 2 through 9. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, Bethesda, see, mm -mm, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids. So let's just try to see it. There's blind people, there's lame people, and there's paralyzed people. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So let's kind of get into this a little bit. This man had been an invalid for 38 years. How many of you are younger than 38, just as a show of hands? Okay, wow, okay, 38. I can't raise my hand anymore. Um, so next month, I turn 43, right? So just think about this. This would be like me for almost my whole life not being able to walk. And I feel like at 43, I've already lived two lifetimes. You ever feel, you feel like that once you hit 40? You're like, man, I've done a lot of living. Wait till 60. Oh, God, three, three lifetimes was bad. And so can you just imagine what almost four decades of lying on a mat completely helpless? Think about that. What would that have felt like? And now I love this conversation because we have to note, Jesus doesn't ask the man's name. <laughs> he doesn't get any background information. And the reason he doesn't do that is because he doesn't have to, right? He already knew everything about this man and his situation. So he cuts right to the chase. Do you want to be healed? Now, after 38 years, that can be a little insulting, can it? <laughs> right? Do you want to be healed? But remember, Jesus knows this man, and he knows not just his situation, but his heart, his mindset, his motivation. 
So Jesus is trying to reveal something. And it's important for us to just take a a moment to remember that, too, for ourselves. Jesus knows our heart and our mindsets and our motivations, too. So when he asks us a question, sometimes that's what he's trying to get at. And the man's response is telling. What does he say? Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. What's he saying? It's impossible. Someone always gets there first. This situation is not my fault. And on top of that, it's hopeless. You think he would have just said, yes, <laughs> right? Do you want to be healed? Yes, I do. 100%, you know, you would think that would be his response. And I just wonder how many times had this man said the same thing to himself, to his family, to his friends, to the other rabbis. It's not my fault. Someone always goes there before me, right? But he doesn't say, I want to be healed. Talking with Jesus reveals how we really feel. And I love it because Jesus doesn't rebuke the man because he does that sometimes when he's talking to people. He doesn't say, hey, you need more faith. Get your mind right. He just goes straight to it. Get up. Take up your mat and walk. You know, like, oh, I love it. It's like an action movie with Jesus. Get up. Something he hadn't done in 38 years. Think about that. Think about that. You haven't walked in 38 years and someone comes up to you and says, get up. What would you think? Are they, he's crazy, absolutely. Thank you, Rose, for being honest. (laughs) Take up your bed. This had been this man's security blanket. This was the thing he relied on every single day. And then walk. This was a miracle of miracles. But their conversation doesn't end there. Unfortunately, between the two halves of their conversation, this man has another conversation (laughs) with the religious leaders, and they are upset. Think about that. This man had been an invalid for 38 years, and the religious leaders are mad that he's walking around with his mat. Would you say their priorities were off? Just a little bit, Mr. Rodney, right? They're like, it's the Sabbath. What are you doing carrying your bed? How crazy is that? You'd think they'd be like, oh, my God, praise Jehovah. I mean, they they should be celebrating. But instead, they're nitpicking. It's crazy. And that's another thing we can learn from this conversation. You know, sometimes people won't celebrate your miracle because they don't understand it, because they're jealous. Sometimes they won't celebrate your miracle. So you're going to have to hold on (laughs) for yourself. Believe for yourself. You know what? That was a miracle. God did do that for me. Because not everybody's going to celebrate your miracle. But then this man and Jesus talk again in John 5, 14. And it says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus approaches this man one more time, and, you know, I can kind of see Jesus, like, looking him in the eye, and like, are you with me? <laughs> like, you're healed now. You got it? Sin no 
more. And what the man does next is interesting. Verse 15 and 16, it says, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. It's interesting. The man was okay with Jesus healing him, but he was not okay with Jesus telling him how to live. And this is where we have to be careful, right? We can want the blessings of God without being obedient to God. Oh, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Okay, be obedient, be obedient, be obedient. Something offended him. Oh, okay, I haven't walked in 38 years. Thanks for that, but don't come up in here telling me about my sin. He gets offended, and he goes back, and he tattles on Jesus. Austin, don't tattle on Jesus. Okay, good. But seriously, this is us too. Sometimes we want a miracle, but we don't want to do things to maintain our own freedom, right, to grow in God. It's kind of like Pastor Philip talked about on Sunday. We want to be saved, but then do we want to walk through the transformation process? We don't know why he tattled on Jesus. I think he tattled on him because Jesus exposed something in his heart that he did not want to confront. And when we talk to Jesus, if we will talk honestly with Jesus in our prayer time, that will happen for us too, right? So there's two questions that this conversation brings to the table. The first one is this. What have you dealt with for a long time that seems impossible to fix? Man, as I was writing this down the other day, I was like, there's a few things. (laughs) that I've just kind of stopped praying about, stopped thinking about, because I'm just like, there's just no way. Are you ready to believe that God does the impossible? It can be so easy for us to say, well, yeah, of course, God can do anything. I live by faith in all these things. But if we will watch what we say, it will reveal how we really feel. Number two, are you trying to get God's blessings without living a life of obedience? because it doesn't work that way. So honest, honest questions. And we're going to have two questions after each conversation. So here's our second conversation. Jesus, some Pharisees, so you know it's going to be interesting, <laughs> and an adulteress. Y'all know this story? Jesus, Pharisees, and an adulteress. So here's our context for this talk. So this, scholars believe, is probably the second year, the very beginning of the second year of Jesus' public ministry. And there's this huge division among the Jews, right? Some are calling him the Christ. Some are starting to follow him and believe in him, while others are starting to call him the devil and a deceiver and all of this stuff. And the Pharisees at this point are furious. And they keep waiting for something to trip Jesus up with. That's their mission. This is where we're at in Jesus' story. So John 8, 1 through 6. John 8, 1 through 6. Jesus returned to to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. 
As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. I'm like burping. I'm so sorry, guys. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said. Oh, that's going to be on the podcast. Oh, man. Okay. Teacher, they said to Jesus. Man, I'm not thinking. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Ah, here they are trying to lure him in. Verse 6 says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. The truth is that this scene was not about this woman at all. (laughs) The Pharisees' motives were absolutely foul. They are just there to trap Jesus. Can you imagine how this woman feels in this situation, in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of the temple? And I love this conversation. Just let's take notice of this. Jesus doesn't respond to their question right away. Don't you love that? They're like, Jesus, you know, and he's just writing in the dirt. Nonverbal communication speaks the loudest in most conversations, doesn't it? And right now, Jesus is just ignoring them. He's taking his time. And I love this because what I see in this conversation is Jesus is in complete control. (laughs) They're trying to rush him. They're trying to make him react. And Jesus is like, nope, I'm not playing your game. I'm just going to take my time and write in the dirt. The verse 7 and 8 says this of John 8. They kept demanding an answer. So can you see this? This has taken some time. This isn't like a f- couple of seconds. This is, this is some minutes. Jesus is just doing his thing, and they're like, what, what about this woman? What about this woman? What about this woman? And Jesus stands up and says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again. I just love it. Jesus is like, this is my game. Y'all, I ain't playing your game. You playing my He just stoops down again and starts riding in the dust. I love it. He doesn't beat around the bush, does he? He doesn't go back and forth with them. His word speaks straight to the heart of every single one of her accusers. And verse 8 and 9 says this. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Can you see it? Beginning with the oldest. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. What did Jesus remind these men of? There is only one lawgiver and judge. There is only one perfect one. And none of them met the qualification. (laughs) So one by one, they leave. Let's pause here and read something Jesus taught in Matthew 7 that destiny read to us a couple of weeks ago. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. This is a sermon on the mount. And Jesus said, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend? I love that. Jesus is like, how did you even get that thought in your head? Like, where did that come from? (laughs) How can you even think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your 
friend's eye. Before we pick up our stones, we better deal with our own sin and dysfunction. We give these men in this conversation a bad rap, but you know what? I like their honesty in this moment. Because they could have been stubborn and religious and just stood there like, I'm not going to admit that I have sin in my life, right? But each one of them goes. And I love starting with the oldest because, you know, he had the most sins, right? He's like, I'm going to get out first. Like, I already know what time it is. I'm out. Before we talk to Jesus about other people's sin, let's deal with our own. Think about your prayer life. Are you always saying, God, fix them, get my crazy aunt right, get my mama right, get my kids right, Lord, do this, do that? Don't do that until you've dealt with your own sin. So back to Jesus and this woman, John 8, 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. She finally gets to talk. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I love this. Jesus doesn't condemn this woman as these insistent law keepers were hoping. But his words don't end with you're not condemned. They end with sin no more more. And I love this because this is grace and truth at its finest, right? The Bible says that Jesus is full of both grace, grace and truth. Why am I talking with gum in my mouth? My mouth, sorry. Full of both grace and truth. And in this moment, Jesus cannot betray himself. He can't just say to her, you're not condemned. He has to also lay some truth out there for her. Sin no more. And this is what I've learned. Sometimes we have a lean. Some of us are like, grace all day. Come on, Jesus. Give me grace and more grace. And like me and Jesus have an understanding, and Jesus is okay with me doing the right? Grace all day. And then some of us are all over here like truth all the way. And we're trying to follow all these rules, and I got to get it right. And if I don't get it right, oh, God, he's going to, like, lightning bolts are coming, right? So we have a lean, maybe because of our personality, maybe because of the way we were raised. And because of that lean, sometimes it's hard for us to hear what God is trying to say to us. We take it the wrong way. It can be hard to hear, I love you from God. If you think your obedience is what gives you a seat at his table, especially if you're having a hard week, (laughs) right, or a hard season or a hard year. But equally, hearing like a whisper of, don't do that again, when you failed at something for like the 50th time, if you lean toward grace all day, that can come off as harsh. God, why are you being so mean? But this is the thing. When we get into a relationship with Jesus, we get all of Jesus. And he's always coming full of grace and truth. And he knows exactly what we need to hear and how we need to hear it and when we need to hear it. And we have to be okay with hearing whatever he would say. 
That rhymed. Okay, good. That didn't mean. <laughs> Here's our questions from this conversation. When's the last time you meditated on God's love for you? Come on, if you're like me and you lean a little bit more toward truth all day, it can be hard to just sit and think about how much God loves you, about his favor, about his grace. We need to spend time every day, even if it's five minutes, just thinking about how much God loves us. But if you are kind of in that grace all day corner, when's the last time you talked to God about your sin? Could sin be hindering your relationship with him? Just examine. Just ask the question. Don't be afraid. When you sit before him, be like David. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Show me if there's anything in me that offends you. Third conversation. I know I'm supposed to end at 745. I'm going to try. I just, I'm so fast up here. I'm sorry. Are y'all, am I going too fast? Okay, good. Third conversation. Jesus and a rich young ruler. So here's our context for this talk. Scholars place this talk somewhere between the winter and spring of 31 AD. And in the scene before this conversation, we see Jesus rebuking his disciples and blessing little children. So they're trying to keep the children away. And Jesus says, you better let them children come to me, right? And he gives them a whole teaching on children in the kingdom of God. And the cross is very near But Jesus has some teaching to do. Luke 18, verses 18 and 19. It's the start of this conversation. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I love this. I love looking at conversations that Jesus has. It teaches us so much. Jesus does not answer his question. What was his question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? But does Jesus answer that question? No. Jesus says, why do you call me good? He pauses to challenge this man's concept of goodness. And he's not just doing this for him. He's doing this for everyone who's listening. Maybe he's doing it because this ruler, like many of us, have this idea that people have the capacity for pure goodness. That somehow we can attain it by behaving a certain way or checking a few boxes. But Jesus wants him to know he's wrong. According to Jesus, good, true, unadulterated goodness is a distinction reserved for God alone. Jesus continues, verse 20, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Now that's a pretty demanding list. 
How many of you have lied about someone or to someone in your lifetime? Come on, it's Bible class. Let's be real. I have. I've lied on my sister many times when we were kids. Okay, confessions. How many of you dishonored your parents when you were a child or a teenager or a 20-something? Hey, now, my dad got some stories. Don't ask him. All right. So this list is pretty demanding, and, and this is what this young man says. He says, all these I have kept from my youth. Think about that. All those commandments he had kept from me, he had not done anything against those commandments. That is amazing. When I read that, I'm like, that's crazy. But their talk isn't over. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Mm. sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, this rich young ruler, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. One version says, you still lack one thing. So everything you have and give to the poor. This young man thought he had passed with flying colors. But he neglected to follow the first and greatest commandment. And I think it's interesting that Jesus leaves it out of the list because Jesus knows. The first and greatest commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. He had a God and it wasn't God. Jesus' words illuminated the true object of this man's worship, and it was his riches. You know, when I think about Jesus' words, they're still good at uncovering what we really lack. If we'll read them and let them read us and talk to us, we think we need better children, but what we really need is more patience. We think we need more money, but what we really need is to stop being stingy or to stop buying shoes. Come on, somebody, Clarissa. Hey, now. Not stingy. Shoes. Shoes. Shoes for me. We think we need more time, but what we really need to do is get our priorities straight. We think we need a checklist. If we could just do A, B, and C, we'd be okay. We'd be good but what we really need and what Jesus knows we need is a relationship. This conversation, I just love reading this in certain commentaries. It has sparked many other conversations and debates. Some people wonder if God has something against people with money. Some think that it wasn't fair for Jesus to ask this man to give up so much. But here's what Jesus New, and this is something we all need to remember. You can't worship God and anything. There's no plus sign. There's no comma. You can't worship God and anything. And this is why. Because anything can quickly turn into everything. Some people come to Jesus at pivotal moments of their life. When they're about to get married, they want to get things right, right? 
And then their focus becomes all about their marriage. And then their marriage is not what they wanted it to be. Why? Because they've added something to the end of the sentence. You can't worship God in anything because anything can quickly become everything. I've watched people come into this church praying for a child, desperate, praying that God would give them a child, a miracle, and he's done it. And as soon as they get that child, they're gone. The object of their affection and their attention has slowly changed. Because you can't worship God and anything, even the good things. See, we think, oh, I don't, I don't want to worship Satan or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be an evil person. No. What does the devil tempt us with in the Western culture? Leisure, the good life, the American dream. And instead of going after God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, we try to go after God and. But you can't do it because you can't worship God in anything. You have to worship God alone. And this is what I love about Jesus. And man, this part kind of got me as I was thinking about it and preparing. An honest talk with Jesus will always uncover things we put before him. If you really get into your prayer life and you start talking to God about anything and everything, you'll start hearing what you've put before him. And you're, he'll start talking to you about what you've put before him. You know, we have a, um, I'm in a Grow You group on Tuesday nights on Zoom. And one of the ladies shared last night that she was at a women's retreat and they were talking about dying to yourself and denying yourself. And during this retreat, she said she heard so clearly that God asked her to give up her dream of being married. Think about that. And she said she was wrestling. And she was kind of like, what? Like, I don't know if that's you, God, right? But once you've elevated something over God, he's going to ask you for it. He's going to ask you for it. And then sometimes he'll give it back to you. But he's a good father, and he wants you to know him, and he wants you to fellowship with him. So he, he will come after some things that you've elevated over him. So here are two questions. Have you elevated anything over Jesus? Your children, your future, your job. Have you elevated anything over Jesus? And what are you willing to do every day? Because that's what it takes. That's what I've learned in my walk with God. What are you willing to do every day to keep God in his proper place? Here's our last conversation. Jesus, a mother, and his disciples. Jesus, a mother, and his disciples. Here's our context. So now we're ending, nearing the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he's just explained to his disciples that this would be their final trip together 
to Jerusalem. Think about that. For the third time, so he does this three times in the Gospels, he tells them, I'm going to go die, (laughs) I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. He tells them that three different times. In this chapter, after this, is when he's going to be coming into the city, riding on a donkey, and everybody's going to be talking about Hosanna and palm branches and shirts and everything on the ground. So we're right in between all of this, and we get this conversation, Matthew 20, 20 through 21. I love this one. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. Ooh, she bold. When I read this, I'm like, was... Was this like James and John going to their mom and saying, Mom, can you talk to Jesus for us? You know, did you ever do that? Like you wanted to play in the game, but coach hadn't been playing you. So you're like, Dad, next time, can you ask coach if I can play in the game? You know, was this James and John setting their mom up? Or was this her her idea? I don't know. It's interesting. We don't know if it was her ambition or the ambition of her son's. But her request does show us this. She believes that Jesus is the king. At least she believes that, right? She's talking about his kingdom. She can see it. She believes it. But it also shows us that she doesn't, they don't really understand, even at this late hour, how his kingdom works. Jesus asked, what do you want? And I love that because that's a pattern in the Gospels. You know Jesus already knows what she wants. (laughs) But I think he does that so that we can hear ourselves, so that we have to think about our answer before we say it. Like she had a chance to go, I'm not asking this question. What do you want? If I was Jesus and I already knew her answer or her question, I would have just probably ignored her. Or said, don't ask me that, or something, right? But that's not how Jesus rolls, and I love that. He lets us come to him with questions. You know, someone said that to me the other day. They were struggling with something, and they were like, I know we're not supposed to ask God questions. And I was like, who told you that? He's our father. We can ask him questions. Verse 22, Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And this is what James and John say to him. They say, we are able. Wow. He had just been telling them what this cup was. This cup is death. This isn't like, you know, some happily ever after cup. This This is serious. And I love it because they're bold too. You know, Jesus, their nickname was Sons of Thunder. Don't you love that? Jesus gave them that nickname. This is, so like, let's get our idea of Jesus. It's different. Jesus was like a homie to a certain degree. Dad, I'm sorry. I know you don't like it when I say things like that. But that's okay. He was just like, he was a friend. He's like, I'm going to call y'all Sons of Thunder. Y'all are something else. Y'all are, so, y'all are Sons of Thunder. So this, these are his friends. 
And without hesitation, they say, we are able. And then he says this to them, you will drink my cup. You're going to go through all the same things that I'm going to go through. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Jesus assures them, hey, you're going to give up your life for me. You're going to go through the same hard things that I'm going to go through. But he says the seats you're asking for, I can't even reserve them. Now, this is, this is getting into some theology, but this is interesting to me. This is the Trinity in action. Everyone in the Trinity has their own personality and their own responsibility. And Jesus says, God, the Father, is going to have the final say on the seating arrangements in heaven. <laughs> Not even me. And what we see next in this text is that it didn't happen behind closed doors. Ooh, I love this. Come on, have you ever heard your brother or your sister asking for something you wanted? And you're like in your room, you're like, I, they better not be asking. I was going to ask for that. Like, oh, you know, and it makes you mad. Or, or a coworker, they were going to ask for vacation, and then you, they asked for the days you were going to ask for or whatever. And you're like, uh-uh. Right? So verse 24 says this. When the ten heard it, Lord, can you see them? Peter is mad. You know Peter's mad. He's ready to cut somebody. He's like, is this when we cut people? Like, what? They're mad, and they should be. But I love this because Jesus doesn't let this moment pass. He uses this conversation that he's had with James and John and their mother to clarify something for everyone else. Verse 25. But Jesus called them to him. Come on, guys. Bring it in. <laughs> Bring it in. Come on. I know you're mad. Come on. Let's talk. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. I don't like that. Verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus just blew their minds. They're seeing this kingdom where they're sitting up above everybody and Jesus is ruling and reigning and people are like coming and do, you know, they're doing everything. And Jesus says, it's not going to be like that in my kingdom. That's not how it works in my kingdom. It shall not be so among you. You want to be a leader? You, really, you want to be great? Good. Guess what? You have to be a servant. And I love this because Jesus doesn't say, shame on you for wanting to be great. We are the children of God. We should want to do great things for God. 
we should want to change our world. We should want to be the best of the best in whatever God has put in front of us to do. But we don't do it the way the world does it. Jesus says, if you want to be great, then be a servant. And can you see why this would make the world take notice? I'm the CEO of my company, but I don't sit up in my office and make everybody grovel at my feet. I go down and I talk to the people. I ask them, what do you need to do your job better? I know their names. I'm different because I belong to Jesus. Jesus says, you want to take the master seat? Okay, no problem. Then be willing to sit at the slave's table. I'm telling you, it hits our ears different, but it would have messed them up. I thought we were about to run this thing, Jesus. I thought you were about to change it all. And Jesus was like, oh, I am. And it's totally different in my kingdom. The leaders are willing to wash people's feet. They're willing to do the low thing. They're willing to take the last place. This talk has been challenging egos for almost 2,000 years. And we don't talk about it a lot because it's even challenging in the church. The longer you're in it, the more you know, the harder it can be to wash the feet, to pick up the trash, to rock the babies. Oh, I've moved past that. Do you know how long I've been coming here? Do you know how long I've been walking with Jesus? I have earned my seat. I just sit in the sanctuary and I just keep that seat warm because I've done all I needed to do. But here's the thing about leading in Jesus' kingdom. We never grow out of being a servant. We never grow out of taking last place. As we seek to lead out, that's one of our house habits. We lead out. It means we will do whatever needs to be done. As we seek to do that, as we seek to do great things for God, we need to let this challenge us over and over and over again. Because when we finally get that degree, when we finally get that house, when we finally, when all those things in the world that matter, when those things start to happen for us, it can mess us up. And we have to be careful. Do I want to lead like the world leads? Calling the shots. Come on, somebody. I know. So that, it just, it's in us, right? Do I want to lead like the world leads with everyone at my beck and call? Or do I want to live and lead like Jesus? He's the perfect leadership role model. Look no further than Jesus. <laughs> he led in a way that made people feel seen and loved and cared for. He wasn't afraid to confront issues. He wasn't afraid to call things out. But he didn't do it because he was trying to hurt people or be over them. He did it because he cared for them. As a parent, are you willing to be a servant? 
That's a hard one for me. As a coworker, as a boss, are you willing to be a servant? Or are you thinking, what about me? Austin, you can come and play the keyboard. I'm not going to make it to 745, so as usual, you just stay in here, parents. Okay, you know that you know the drill when I teach Bible class. Okay, good. Don't get me in trouble. <laughs> yeah, talk to each other. Meet each other. I can ask more questions and give out more candy. How about that? <sighs> Am I willing to wash people's feet? Hmm. Am I willing to make sure that poor people eat? These are the things Jesus did. Am I willing to give up my seat so that someone else can get what they need? Am I willing to be a servant? Or am I offended by that a little bit? Is that beneath me? I'm not judging you. I'm just talking out loud. I'm helping myself right now. (laughs) Here's our two questions. Are you challenged by Jesus's idea of leadership? And if yes, why? Maybe something different was modeled for you. Maybe something different is expected of you where you work. And you just can't see yourself doing things the Jesus way. But here's the thing. No matter where you work, no matter what your title is, you get to choose how you live. You get to choose how you love people. You get to choose how you make people feel. No one can choose that for you. Number two, do you find it challenging to serve others and put their needs before your own? And the church said, amen. Okay, no. (laughs) I know I find that challenging. When I'm tired, when I think I'm right. Come on, am I the only one? (laughs) Benita, you got, I like you. You got some honesty in you. Isn't it challenging? Don't you just have those days where you just want it to be all about you because you feel like you deserve it? Aren't you glad Jesus wasn't like that? I think about the feeding of the 5,000 all the time. It was supposed to be a vacation. That's how the whole trip started. It was supposed to be a vacation. And Jesus goes, well, let me teach the people, and I guess we got to feed the people. (laughs) Vacation's over, guys. (laughs) We're servants. We're not here to be served. Let the world do all that. Let them act like that. We're here to be servants. Everything in Jesus' kingdom is different. It messes with our minds because it's so countercultural. And that's why we have to fight with everything in us to do things his way. So here are our eight questions again, just in case you didn't get them the first time. 
What have you dealt with for a long time that seems impossible to fix? Are you ready to believe that God does the impossible? Think about those things. Think about those people in your life that you've just gone, whatever. (laughs) It's hopeless. Are you ready to believe that God can do the impossible? I'm ready for that. Number two, are you trying to get God's blessings without living a life of obedience? Do you want God to bless the work of your hands, but you're not willing to do what he's asked you to do? Be honest. Because that's where transformation starts. Number three. When's the last time you meditated on God's love for you? I love reading Romans 8 because, you know, it lists all those things that can't separate us from the love of God, death and hell and sickness and our worries about today and our fears about tomorrow. It's like nothing, Paul says, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. When's the last time you just wrote down that list? I just thought, wow. If that's true, then I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. Number four, when's the last time you talked to God about your sin? My advice is do it every day, just in case. (laughs) God, show me. Show me. Is it me? I thought it was you, but is it me? Show me. Number five. Have you elevated anything over Jesus? Man, this one's big. What do you think about the most? This is how I help people in counseling. What is your constant thought? What's on Replay in your mind as you go about your day. Is it God and his goodness and his love for you? And are you communing with him as you do the dishes and all the things and do the work? Or are you worried about your money, your family, your job? What is the predominant thought in your mind? Watch it. Because you might have just elevated that thing over Jesus. Number six, what are you willing to do every day to keep God in his proper place? You know, Pastor Philip says, if you you can, just start five minutes a day every morning. First thing you do, hey God, it's me again. I got them eye boogers and I know my breath stinks, but I know you love me. Just here again. (laughs) I don't know what's gonna happen today, but I know you do. I trust you. Do something every day that helps you keep God in his proper place. Number seven, are you challenged by Jesus's idea of leadership? Is pride getting the best of you? Is that predominant thought, me, 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 me? What about my? 
or are you thinking about how you can serve others and how you can love others? Number eight, do you find it challenging to serve others and put their needs before your own? You know, the only way I think to combat that is just to do it. <laughs> this is funny, and I'm confessing this, and my husband doesn't know this, but I was cooking something. I don't remember what it was. It was good, though. And I, for a second, oh, Eddie's here, too. My, all my whole family's here. Okay, it's fine. And I was like, I'm going to save this piece for me, right, just for a second. And it was so funny because it was like God was like, really, Clarissa? Really? And it took a lot. It's so sad how it works, right? It took a lot out of me to go, I'll eat this one instead. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? Why is it such a challenge? This is why I say read the Gospels as much as you can. Just put them on play on your Bible app while you do the dishes or get ready in the morning. And listen to the way Jesus interacted with people. Pay attention to how he dealt with hard situations. Let him teach us how to die to ourselves. How to deny ourselves. And let's be servants the way he was a servant. Do you want to do that? Does that sound like a plan? Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we have together today. We love your word, God. <laughs> your word is truth. It's able to divide the bone from the marrow and expose the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It gets right down to the nitty gritty. Father, I am challenged by these questions tonight. And I know I'm not the only one. We want to be like you. We want to talk like you and walk like you. Help us, God. We have your spirit. Come on, just thank God for his Holy Spirit right now. Thank you for making it possible for us to live this life. It's not impossible. You are with us and you are in us and we can do it. And so tonight we ask for more grace. <laughs> and more truth, whatever it takes. We wanna be like you. Now, Father, I pray for everyone who's here, everyone who's watching online. I pray, God, that as we think about these things, our lives would begin to change drastically. I pray for miracles, God, where we have given up on the impossible. God, I pray you would do miracles in our family, in our bodies, in our finances. God, we believe you for the impossible. We won't make excuses. If you ask us what we want, we're gonna tell you without fear and we're gonna believe that you can do it. 
And Father, I pray that until we meet again, you would bless everyone and you would keep them and you would make your face to shine upon them and you would give them your peace. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.